Okay. Scott? This is a 39-year-old white female who palpated a lump in her left breast. She was seen by a family physician who referred her for mammography. Bilateral mammogram demonstrated a spiculated 3-centimeter lesion in the left upper outer quadrant of the left breast. The right breast was negative. The density of the breast lowered the sensitivity of the mammography per the report. She was then referred to a surgeon who did a biopsy on the lesion of the left breast. This demonstrated a 2-centimeter invasive ductal carcinoma, moderately differentiated, ERPR positive, HER2 new was 0 by IHC. She was then referred to a radiation therapist for consideration of partial breast irradiation as part of her local regional treatment. A physical examination was then performed on the patient, and she was found to have uh, palpable adenopathy in the ipsilateral axilla. And so the radiation therapist at that point called me to get a handle on where to go from here. We discussed staging the patient, given the fact that she had bulky palpable ipsilateral adenopathy with a diagnostic CT of the chest, a fusion PET scan, as well as because of the density of the breasts and the uncertainty of the mammography, to go ahead and perform a breast MRI. And he ordered those studies. The breast MRI confirmed the lesion in the left breast. There was definite adenopathy in the left axilla. The CT scan of the chest identified a 3-centimeter smoothly marginated lesion in the left lower lobe of the lung that on PET scan was avid with an SUV value of 11. The PET scan also confirmed that the lesion in the left breast was hypermetabolic and the adenopathy in the left axilla was also hypermetabolic. So he called me back and we talked about a CT-guided needle biopsy of the left lower lobe lung mass, and I told him I would see her two days after to introduce myself and go over the results of the lung biopsy. So the lung biopsy unfortunately demonstrated ERPR positive, her to new negative breast cancer. And so my first introduction to her was my name and to give her the information from the lung biopsy results. Can you talk a little bit more about her general situation and what that discussion was like? She's married. She has three children. She is a housewife and very busy, very articulate, very intelligent, and very scared. So, Julie, what would you be thinking at this point? Well, so this brings up a whole lot of issues. She's got de novo metastatic disease. It's rare, but it happens. And so one of the questions that comes up is local treatment when there are distant mets de novo. And lots of debate about this. The group at Northwestern has looked through registries in non-trials, but looking at registry follow-up, believes that there is at least a good hypothesis that local control in patients like this can matter. Now, whether we do it first, you know, taking care of, you know, doing the lumpectomy, mastectomy, and removing the lymph nodes, or whether we get some systemic treatment underway and then add it is another issue. But ECOG presented at the last intergroup meeting a randomized trial of what do you do to the breast lymph node area in these de novo metastatic patients. And the intergroup at least voted in concept that they thought this was worthy of exploring in a randomized trial. So that being said, if you really believe you've done a good CT with contrast, which it sounds like you did all the time. I get referred patients who have had a PET CT, but the CT was orientational without contrast and with wide cuts. And so you sound like you've done the full diagnostic you know, CT. I would also stress that bone scans and PET scans can really pick up different bone disease. So I would always 
time and time again, I'm also getting, oh, the patient doesn't need a bone scan because they had a negative PET scan. But I would do that just because I really want to know where all of her disease is. If she really has a solitary lesion in the lung, you could consider removing that, operating locally, being aggressive in a 39-year-old. And, you know, that is a consideration that I would have, but I'd really want to make sure I had staged every place else. SWOG is about to start a trial, got approved. Paula Kuniev in upstate New York has been working on stereotactic radiation therapy with oligometastases. And so in this study, she would have to have the breast and lymph nodes taken care of, but patients who have not necessarily de novo, but five or less METs in sites that could be contained with radiation. And because we tag to the diaphragm, you can radiate the liver, you can radiate a lung nodule. And we're going to start with a feasibility trial. Can many sites do this kind of oligo radiation when there's only a couple spots of metastatic disease? And then if it's feasible that not just his site, but a bunch of other sites can do this, we'll do a randomized trial. Can we impact outcome? Can we in the oligo metastatic patient actually get some cures by very targeted therapy. What do we know right now about local therapy, specifically surgery for a metastatic disease in breast cancer? Obviously, it's a major part of colon cancer management. Tom, what do we know about in well, breast cancer? Well, you have several retrospective trials that have looked at patients who have surgery or don't, and basically all of the trials have shown that the patients who have surgery addressing the local tumor do better. Some of the trials, the more aggressive the treatment, the better the patient does. The problem, obviously, is that there is patient selection. These are not randomized trials. Patients who have aggressive local therapy are different than those who don't. But this at least advances the hypothesis that treatment of the primary can affect survival. All these studies show a survival advantage for patients who have surgery of the primary. So that I think A randomized trial is a good idea and should be supported. And you'll recall in renal cell carcinoma, you have two randomized trials that show a survival advantage from nephrectomy for patients with metastatic disease. So it's not totally unheard of that treating the primary tumor could affect survival of the patient with metastatic disease. I think for this particular case, I would probably start with hormonal therapy And then the question is, what hormonal therapy? In a premenopausal woman, I usually use ovarian functional suppression plus tamoxifen, although ovarian functional suppression plus an aromatase inhibitor, I think, is certainly a very reasonable option. The ovarian functional suppression plus tamoxifen, we had the benefit of some, you know, a small randomized trial done in the ORTC, a small meta-analysis that shows that's better than tamoxifen alone or ovarian functional suppression alone. We have kind of phase two trials indicating that ovarian functional suppression plus aromatase inhibitors is an active regimen. So either one of those I think would be reasonable. Assuming the patient responds, then I would be inclined to, I guess her primary was removed, is that right? You said it was two centimeters, so it must have... No, the primary is intact. It's intact. So then I would be inclined to do say she responded to treatment to do a, you know, probably a partial mastectomy, axillary node dissection and perhaps take out the pulmonary nodule because of the data on oligometastatic disease that these patients may do better with treatment of isolated metastases. Do you agree you'd start systemic therapy or endocrine therapy first? Or would you go right to local therapy? I would. We actually usually bring these patients into our multidisciplinary clinic. And generally, our surgeons and radiation oncologists would like to observe the patient for a three to 
six-month period to make sure that this isn't something that's just about to explode in front of them? You know, because sometimes you've hit the tip of the iceberg, and within a few months, even with systemic therapy added, you've now got 20 more spots that are showing up. So that's kind of a reason why we give a little run-in trial generally of some systemic therapy with a plan to carefully reevaluate in three months, four months, six months, and decide about the surgery at that time. And that's really just to make sure we're not putting somebody through a bunch of surgery and recovery who already has a bunch of other spots that are really about to explode. I would agree with Tom that all of his comments about the endocrine therapy being, of course, related to metastatic disease, I would never want this patient to see estrogen again. So she's got metastatic disease and likely has other little spots and places. So I would offer her you know, ovarian suppression. And then at some point when things are going well, just remove her ovaries would probably be easier than continuing to get shots. I would just tell her, I would never, even if we can get you to an NED state and things are going well, I would just never want estrogen to come back and potentially awaken some dormant tumor cells that might still be there. Scott, what are you thinking? My thought was to actually start with systemic therapy in the form of chemotherapy rather than anti-estrogen therapy with the rationale that if in the end she's going to either have that stereotactic body radiation to the lung or, say, a wedge of the lung met resected, my anti-estrogen therapy is going to be a nice way to give her a therapy that she's going to be on for months, years, if not longer. And so to use the chemotherapy up front to at least see whether or not she has chemosensitive disease, give us that three- to six-month window to determine what the biology of her disease is going to be so we don't expose her to surgeries that she's not going to benefit from, and then at the end of that, put her on a therapy that is going to be tolerable and sustainable for a longer duration, anti-estrogen therapy, with the caveat that the chemotherapy may actually manipulate her ovarian status and may give us more options with regard to anti-estrogen therapy. And she's amenable to trying whatever she needs to do to live as long as she can. Bob? Yeah, this case actually raises some very interesting questions for me. First of all, why not just do an oophorectomy up front. Oh, that's fine. You know, why bother with uh, medical suppression? It sometimes doesn't work. You know, certainly the three-month is unreliable. The one-month Solex is more reliable, but still doesn't always work. It's more expensive. Why not just... Uh, just you know, I agree. I, when I say ovarian functional suppression, I just meant by whatever means was... And when I, would yeah, and I, when I said I'd start with an LHRH analog, it's because I would give it to her right then when I'm seeing her, like that day, so that she has a month or two to get scheduled for it if she wants all right, it up but front. But the goal would yeah. still be an oophorectomy, yeah. which is the simplest approach. Okay, the second question I had, the role of bone marrows in breast cancer, every five years or so, I guess, it comes up again. And I'm wondering if this isn't the type of patient, since it's a solitary metastasis that's making her stage four, if this isn't the type of patient that maybe... I just want your thoughts on this, but maybe a bone marrow would be useful. I don't know if it would be, but... You mean a bone marrow transplant? No, no, no. I mean... mean, uh, Diagnostic test. Looking uh, for for epithelial cells in the bone marrow, because we know that it's not uncommon to find them. We're not sure exactly what that means, but would that be a test that makes any sense in a patient such as this? If we saw a fair amount of bone marrow involvement, would you not do surgery? Yeah. I would think a routine bone marrow aspirin and biopsy would be a reasonable thing to do, but to do it in stain for cytokeratins, I guess I would not know what to do with the information because you have patients who are free of disease who you can do a bone marrow aspirin and biopsy, and they may be there, and it's a poor prognostic sign, but not all of those patients relapse, at least so far. So I guess I, it would confuse me more than help me, so I probably 
wouldn't do it. Okay. One last quick question is in terms of partial breast irradiation, this is sort of off the point a bit, mm-hmm. but that was brought up in this case. She was 39 years old? Correct. Are you using partial breast irradiation in patients this young? I'm trying to remember, but I actually think she'd be too young to even enter B39. I think, was 40 the cutoff or 45? We yeah. use 45, 45. in my institution. So we are not doing it. We're really trying not to do it off study. We do have, I will admit, kind of a registry study for people who would have been candidates for the randomization on B39, but for whatever reason, don't enroll. I think, and anybody jump in here and correct me, it's my thought that the reason they're excluding such young women is because they have such a high risk of second cancers and they have so many decades to live. You know, this is a 39-year-old. At our site, any woman 40 or under, even with no family history of breast cancer, we would at least encourage her to have genetic counseling. She can choose about the testing or not. And if she's not ready to do that or she goes and she decides not to be tested, we will offer her the opportunity to store her DNA. And our local children's hospital will store DNA for a one-time, less than $100 setup fee, no annual fee. And she signs a release and says, if I'm not available to access this, the following family members can. And she can name her daughters. So that if she does die of this disease, you put it in your will, you know, and say, this is here. And so that it offers her daughters, when they are of an age, when it becomes relevant, the opportunity to go back and check their mom's DNA. So anyway, that was off the topic of your question. But this is young. She's got a high risk of yeah, second I'm sort of assuming cancers. she doesn't have the lung metastasis, just as a yeah. rule. Our center would not offer it to her at this point. Dr. Levy? Yeah, if this were, say, following systemic therapy and she's restaged and there's a second lung metastasis, is there any data on the role of radiofrequency ablation in managing those metastases and, say, the patient refused surgery or, for whatever reason, was not amenable to surgery, similar to what we do in colorectal cancer with an isolated lung metastasis or liver metastases? Well, I think this is anecdotal, the kind of information you would have. I mean, there are these old data from MD Anderson where they, for instance, patients had an isolated bone metastasis got radiation therapy. So I guess the principle is some sort of local therapy. So it would be the same idea as the stereotactic radiation, and that's, I think, the subject of investigation. Most breast cancer, when it recurs, is so diffuse that we don't have a lot of these patients with, you know, one or two lesions, and I do think that they need to be studied very separately. I've had patients referred for oligometastatic disease, and then, of course, in the time they get to see me, I repeat the staging studies, they've got other distant metastases. So it is a small subset, but they may benefit. 